Well, I will join in in that greeting and say good morning, Horizon Church. It is good to be with you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I love, you know what, you can give me as much call and response as you want. I am good with that. I am good with that. I'm Chuck Mingo, and I am here today giving you greetings from your cousin church, Crossroads, right here in town. So great to be with you guys. And I um, just want to thank Chad and the team for inviting me to be a part of the worship experience this morning. I love the worship experience here. How about the band? I mean, they just led us to a place this morning. Man, I, uh, I needed that. I don't know about you, but I, I needed that. I got something in that that I personally needed. And so I'm just really, really thankful to be here with you today. You've been in a series, Coat of Many Colors, where you've been looking at the life of Joseph looking at this epic story that plays out over time. And we're, we're 22 years into this story, if you can believe it or not, 22 years into this story today as we jump into Genesis chapter 45. And there are many lessons to be learned from Joseph's story. Today, we're going to focus on one of those. But in essence, today is really a resurrection story because his brothers thought Joseph was dead. And he's about to reveal his identity to them. He's been interacting with them. As the leader in Egypt, there's been a famine in the land, and these brothers who sold him into slavery are now at a place where they're in need. And they come, and they don't know it yet. They're about to find out that the leader of Egypt that they've been interacting with, that's been having them go back and forth with different brothers and testing them in all of these ways, that this is actually their brother Joseph. And it is a resurrection from the dead in their eyes. Now, you know, I think many of us, if we want to be people of faith and we want to pray that way, we would love to pray that God would literally raise people from that. How many people would be gained to see that? You know what? You're an honest group. Not everybody raised their hand. That's a good thing because here's the deal. I wonder what we would actually respond like if someone literally and physically rose from the dead right in front of us. Let me give you one example of how you might respond. (laughs) I don't know. If you thought somebody was dead and then they got up, you don't know how you would respond. There's a a lesson in that. The other lesson in that is, and just take it from me, never scare a black man on Halloween. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Trust me on that one. You know, how how do we deal with this kind of thing? This is a dramatic turning point in Genesis 45 where Joseph literally rises from the dead in front of his brothers. For his brothers, it's a resurrection. It's a quick momentary thing where they are blown away. But you know what? For Joseph, this was not a quick thing at all. For Joseph, he's been on a journey for 22 years toward what I'd like to call a slow miracle. I don't know if you ever thought about that term or not, but today I want to talk to you about embracing slow miracles. Embracing slow miracles. Let's pray before we go any further. God, I just ask that today you would teach God, I am so honored to be with brothers and sisters this morning and people who may be interested in a relationship with Jesus this morning. It is a privilege and it is an honor. And I pray that you would put your amazing, amazing character on display in the midst of our time. God, anything in me that's getting in the way, my need to be smart, my need to perform, my need to be liked, I pray that you would just take those things away. And instead, what all of us would see is your heart. What all of us would hear are your words. So Holy Spirit, come and fill this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 45, this is the reveal in the story of Joseph. It goes like this. It says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. I mean, these are tears that have been pent up for 22 years you got to believe that Joseph's family was as good as dead to him, that he never thought 
he would ever see those brothers who sold him again. That he never thought he would see his fathers. That he couldn't have fathomed that his father had a younger son, Benjamin, that was a part of his family. These people were as good as dead. And so finally, as he reveals, all of his emotions for 22 years in the pit, in the prison, are coming out. And then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold in Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. I wonder, have you ever experienced a slow miracle? Have you ever had a situation that in the moment, maybe the moments that it happened, the weeks after it happened, the months after it happened, perhaps even the years after it happened, you wondered, is God in this at all? Is he hearing any of my prayers? I got people praying for me. I got people laying hands on me. I got people doing all these things. But it doesn't seem like anything is happening. But now with perspective, you look back and you can see that from the very moment, from the very first weeks, from the very years that you were wrestling and wondering if God was hearing you, God was absolutely involved. And he was working out something in the midst of that difficult situation that you couldn't have fathomed. And it deeply changed you. I bet you if you have a moment like this in your spiritual journey, it's probably a mile marker for you. That's not something you have to scratch your hands. Have I ever experienced one of these? You know, you know. <laughs> you know if you've experienced a slow miracle. Now, let me tell you something. I am a fan of quick miracles. Can I get an amen on that? How many people would like to get a quick miracle like in the next hour? Right? Yeah, I mean, that'd be awesome, right? I've seen, and I've seen them. I've seen them. We had a guy come from Peru. We had a prayer gathering at Crossroads. A friend of mine, Season, was having issues with her shoulder, wasn't able to raise it. People got around her, prayed immediately. Boom, she was healed. That just happened a couple weeks ago. I can remember when we were sitting around the dinner table at my house. My three-year-old son Samuel was developing pink eye. And we kind of knew that that was kind of in the water. And so we just wanted to pray around that. Um, his brother, Nathan Six, I believe has an incredible gift of faith. I think most kids do. I actually love to have kids pray for me. <laughs> if I'm in the hospital, bring kids. Because they trust. They trust. Um, Nathan laid his hands on Sam, prayed, and we literally watched the pink eye go away. I've seen quick miracles. It's amazing when they happen. But if I'm honest, of all the miracles I've seen, maybe quick miracles are 10% of them. Maybe. Maybe. A lot more of the miracles in my life have been slow miracles. Come from a family of five, and in that family of five, three of us, including myself, have struggled with some kind of addiction. And I'll just tell you, as a person who's gone through recovery, it is not a quick miracle. It is a slow miracle. So I've seen that, but I've seen how that's impacted my life. I'm a very different husband today than I was when I first got married to my wife 12 years ago. And I would like to think I'm better. I think if my wife would hear, she would tell you that was a slow, 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 slow. Slow miracle, and she might at some point say, I hope the miracle still happens. But anyway, she's not here. So I can tell you that I've seen maturity in my life. The truth is, slow miracles are way more common than fast miracles. So what is God up to when there's a slow miracle happening in your life? I think we get a clue of this actually in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 1 where it says this. 
in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, a little while. Joseph was in this situation for 22 years. Okay, a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, and in some translations that word is refined by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I would tell you that in a nutshell, what First Peter is telling us kind of instructively is what we see in the narrative story of Joseph. Joseph has had to undergo many trials. And in the midst of those many trials, he's been refined. And there is something he knows about God that is powerful. He's a changed man. How is it that he can give grace to the brothers who didn't give him any grace? How is it, not only that, but as we watch him and listen to him, he's not bitter toward God. But he's actually thankful for what God has caused to happen. We can learn from Joseph. And I just wonder, if you had to wait 22 years for God to answer a prayer, how would your faith fare? See, because the truth is, it only makes you one of two things. That either makes you bitter, or it makes you better. And it made Joseph better. It made him better. Now, when I ask that question, how would you fare if you had to wait 22 years? Maybe not 22 years, but that's not a rhetorical question, right? If I could sit down and have coffee with many people in this room right now, you would tell me situations in your life right now, relational challenges, health challenges, um, people in your life who you want to come to know Jesus that haven't yet. And you would say, I can point to things where I hope it's a slow miracle. I hope God hasn't forgotten. But quite frankly, at this point, Nothing's happening. Nothing seems to be changing. And I just want you to know, we all have situations like that. And here's the dirty little secret if you're a follower of Jesus. The dirty little secret is this. If in those situations you start to doubt God, you feel like a spiritual failure. Because everybody else just keeps saying, just trust God, just keep going. Even in the hardest times, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Let me tell you something. That is the most unhelpful thing you can say at certain points in people's lives. Seriously. Seriously, because people may not identify with that as they're walking through it. Is it true? Absolutely it's true. But it's hard to say sometimes. And if we're honest, we doubt. We doubt. I'm reading two books right now in tandem, and it's really good to read these books in tandem. One of them is The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. And in the circle maker, he says this, bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. Can I tell you something? I need to be stretched in my prayer. I need to be stretched to pray bold prayers. That's a good word. That's a good word. And yet, and yet, there is another side to that coin, right? The other book I'm reading in tandem with this is a book by Greg Boyd called Benefit of the Doubt, in which he says this, Prayer is powerful and effective, but it's not magic. There is no automatic guarantee that what we're praying for is going to come to pass, even when we're praying with faith and in accordance with God's will. Prayer is a form of co-laboring with God to change the world in a kingdom direction, yet it's genuine labor because there are forces that resist this change. Now, my question is, who's right? Is Circle Maker right? Is Benefit of the Doubt right? Do we even have to choose? Do we even have to choose? See, Joseph, I think, lives in this tension really well. And so we can go to school on him on how to embrace 
slow miracles. Let's go back and see what he says again. Genesis 45 says, then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not be therefore grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. You get the point. He's kind of like jabbing at him a little bit, right? You know. Don't be angry because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And listen to this. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. He repeats this tandem back and forth. You sold me. God sent me. You sold me. God sent me. Which one is it, Joseph? It's both. It's both. See, because Joseph understands slow miracles and how to embrace them and why God brings them into our lives. Three big ideas. The first one is this. Slow miracles help us embrace the brokenness in this life. Slow miracles help us embrace the brokenness in this life. You sold me, Joseph says. Let me tell you something. Can you imagine how it would feel to be sold into slavery by your brothers? I mean, I'm sure we all have stories of betrayal. Stories of people we trusted that turned out not to be trustworthy. But can you just imagine for a moment this ultimate betrayal? In a time where slaves probably had a decreased life expectancy Infinitely lower, infinitely lower. They would never see him again. He would never get to see his father again. He didn't know what that impact would have on his father. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine how that felt? And Joseph recognizes that you sold me into this. Joseph recognizes the brokenness in this world and the brokenness in his own family. If I could wave a magic wand as a pastor and have everybody have a higher belief in some things, one of the things I wish you could have a higher belief in than you do right now is that this world is more broken than you think it is. That Genesis 3 and the fall isn't just a fairy tale, but it affects every aspect of our experience. Not just the human experience, but every aspect of creation. Ebola is because there's a fallen world. It is more broken than you think it is. And guess what? You're a part of that broken world. So you know what that means? Cover your ears on this one. Earmuffs if you don't want to hear this. If you don't want to be self-aware, earmuffs means you're more broken than you think you are too. And that's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. Joseph has come to a place where he could recognize the brokenness of this world. See, I think that's the problem with Pollyanna faith. When we tell people, come to Jesus and your life is going to be amazing. Not necessarily. Not right now in Iraq where when you come to Jesus, they put the Nazarene mark on your house and tell you you have three choices. You're either going to get taxed, you're going to recant your faith, you're going to die. That's not amazing. But that is part of the fallenness of this world. And yet even in the midst of this brokenness, we are not without hope. I love what Romans 5 says. It says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Do you get the idea that even though Joseph has faced some of the hardest things that you could ever imagine, you get the idea that there is a weightiness to his character now that wouldn't have been there had he not gone through this experience. There's an ability to step into leadership 
and steward that well, not only over Egypt, but over the brothers who sold him into slavery, that I don't think he would have had back when he was the guy with the many colored coat who was arrogant, who was telling his brothers, let me tell you about this dream I had. I'm the man in the dream and you're bowing to me. That Joseph wasn't prepared. He didn't have the perseverance. He didn't have the character to step into that situation and lead well. But what we see here is a man who is different. I think about the brokenness in my own life. One of the um, journeys that I had to go on was reconciling my relationship with my mom. I have a great relationship with my mom now. I would have told you I had a great relationship with my mom growing up, and I did. But what I didn't realize is how much of that relationship was really based on shame and control. And what it created in me was a lack of boundaries that really came into play when I got married. Can I get an amen on that? Husbands, and, no, don't, don't, don't say amen on that. But if that's your story, you understand. Now, for me, what that journey looked like was actually I had to go through a period where it was difficult to be around my mother. As all of this stuff started coming out and I recognized how shame and manipulation and control was a part of that relationship, how it was ingrained into that relationship, how it was spiritualized into the relationship. My mom would use religious language sometimes to bring that to pass. And I had to wrestle with that and it made me viscerally angry to be around my mother. That's a great thing for a pastor to confess, right? Yeah, you know. But that was where I was. And here's what happened. In the midst of that, I had to face why was my mom that way? And I had to get into her story and understand she, if she knew better, she would do better. But part of it was how she was conditioned. Part of it was how she was raised. Part of it was the wounds that she had from mistakes that she had made and choices she had made before I came along in life. I had to identify with that. But here's the other thing I had to recognize. I got a lot of brokenness in me, too. And let me tell you, one of the most powerful experiences I had on the path to reconciliation with my mother was the day that I sat down with her and I read to her a letter of amends for all of the choices that I made, things that I had done that had violated the relationship that we had. I just confessed all my brokenness to her. I didn't tell her, and here's how you caused it. Here's the things you did to make me the way I was. I just said, hey, here's my brokenness in the situation. I can't tell you the spiritual power that happened in that time. And today, I have a relationship with my mom that is actually better than it was when I would have told you years and years and years ago it was great. We've gotten honest with each other. We can still be honest with each other. There are healthy boundaries. I love my mom, and God has given me opportunities to honor her. Don't be afraid of the brokenness of this world. Don't be afraid to face it because in facing it, there is formation that doesn't happen any other way in your lives. Second big idea, slow miracles help us embrace God's faithfulness over time. Thank God that the only reality in this world isn't the brokenness of this world. Thank God that in Genesis 3, there is a promise that there will be a seed who will crush the head of the serpent. Thank God that's not the end of the story in Genesis 3. In fact, Joseph and his family comes from that seed and is a part of that story playing out. And it shows us God's faithfulness over time. I love that Joseph says, you sold me, but God sent me. God sent me to prison. God sent me away from my family. What, what must he believe about the faithfulness of God to be able to say that with a straight face? He believes there's no boundaries to that faithfulness. He believes that faithfulness works out things over time. And it took him 22 years to get that perspective. I don't think he had that perspective the day he was in the pit. 
I don't think he had that perspective when he got sold and became a slave in Potiphar's house and was actually doing really well, but then his wife lied on him. I don't think he felt that then. I don't think he felt that when he was in prison. But as he looks back over perspective now and sees how God orchestrated, even in the midst of the brokenness, placing Joseph in a place where he would have the authority given to him by God, using the gifts God had given him to save a remnant of his family, a remnant of that seed. So that promise God made long, long time ago in Genesis 3 could still go on. I think then he's able to say, this God is faithful over time. He says this, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Now, here's what I believe. I believe God's timing in this situation was perfect. I don't believe that three years later, Joseph's dad or family would have been alive. They would have starved to death. And so God orchestrated the situation just in time. I love that. God may not come when you want him, but he always comes right on time. I, I, mean, I, I learned that song growing up, and I tell you what, that's true. <laughs> that's a true song. And here we see God working his faithful plan over time. Here's the deal. I don't believe God causes all suffering. There are some people who, who believe that. People I respect, people I listen to and, and, and can understand that theology. That's just not where I land on the situation. But here's what I do believe. Even though God doesn't cause all suffering, God redeems all suffering. He redeems every bit of suffering you go through. He can and he will redeem it. And you know what? You might say, well, what about the person that died? What about the time when it didn't work out? What about the miscarriage? I've experienced those things in my life. And here's something. Somebody told me this who had done ministry work, mission work in India, who's seen some of the most broken places in the world. I've seen people in systematic systems of slavery over time. And when they told me this, I said, I have to take this and wrestle with it because I know you're right, but I've got to just emotionally process it. He said, hey, here's the deal. We've got to remember God has all of eternity to make it right. God is not limited to this life existence that we have. He has all of eternity to make every shed tear right, to make every broken place right, to make every relationship that doesn't get reconciled this side of heaven right. God is working a plan that isn't limited by even just the space and time of this existence. He's working out a plan for all of eternity. He is faithful over time. So face the brokenness of this world. Yes, this world is broken, probably more broken than you think. But God is more faithful than the world is broken. But how do you live in the middle of that? And here's where Joseph really steps into a, into a role in the story that is beyond himself. Because the third big idea is this. Slow miracles help us embrace Christ in the tension. How do you live in the tension between brokenness and faithfulness? Because in between, you're wondering which one is going to win. I'm praying for God's faithfulness to show up this way, on this time, in this specific situation. But there's brokenness, and I see things going worse. The diagnosis from the doctor still isn't good. It doesn't seem like that relationship is ever going to work out. It doesn't seem like that person is actually ever closer to Jesus than they were 10 years ago when I started praying for them. But I hear over here that God is faithful. I hear over here that all things work together for the good of them who are called according to his purpose. How do I live in the tension of that? And the answer is you embrace Christ in the tension. You embrace Christ in the tension. Hey, you want to take your spiritual life to a new level? Buy this book. I don't make many book recommendations. I'm recommending this book. It is a children's Bible. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it says every story whispers his name. And they take every story in the Bible and they point it to Jesus. 
And I tell you what, I'm reading this thing at night with my kids. I'm reading stories that I've read over and over again. And I start tearing up and my boys are like, what's wrong with you, Dad? I just see the gospel in the story in a fresh way. Oh, my God. Go to bed, guys. Go to bed. Like, it is powerful. Just pick up the book. Just, just pick it up. Thank me later. Seriously, it will change the way you read the Bible. And what we have to understand is when we're looking at the story of Joseph, it's really a story being told on three levels. Level one is the narrative of Joseph, this guy who lived, who had this experience. But level two, higher than that, it's the narrative of the nation of Israel. It's the narrative of the people that God covenanted with through Abraham, and it's the story of the nation of Israel. But then on the third level, the highest level, the redemptive level, is this is the story that ultimately points to Jesus. And I love this place in the story where it says this. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? The resurrection has just happened. You're who? (laughs) I am Joseph, does my father still live? And it says, but his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Now, if they hadn't, like, cleaned up the Bible and they were open to, you know, maybe a little bit more crude language, that word dismayed really means scared to death. So if the Bible was more crude, the verse might read like this. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were in need of a change because of the soil in their clothing. Like, if the Bible was crude, that might, that might be what's said there. You get that, right? 22 years ago, we sold our brother into slavery. And not only is he alive, but now our very lives depend on him. That's not a good place to be. That resurrection freaked them out. And maybe Joseph wanted to do what we saw earlier and punch them in the face. We don't know, but, but he didn't. He didn't. This is what he does. Joseph said to his brothers, come near. Come near to me. And let me tell you, when Joseph says that to his brothers who are doubting, to his brothers who are in the tension of the brokenness of this world and the famine that they're facing, and will God be faithful Now, what do I think about God's faithfulness when the person we need to be faithful is our brother that we sold into slavery? His brothers are in the tension, and in that tension, Joseph says, come near. Come to me. And in that moment, Joseph is actually a type of Christ. He's a model for what Jesus does, what Jesus did. Because Joseph is the betrayed but resurrected brother who pulls his doubters closer. Does that sound familiar? Doubting Thomas? You're telling me Jesus rose from the dead? Well, unless I touch it with my own hands, in in his hands and touch his feet with my own hands, I am not going to believe it. And when Jesus appears, he doesn't say, Thomas, you're out of the group. (laughs) Ye of little faith, you're out of the group. No, what does he say to Thomas? Thomas, come here. If it takes you touching my hands, touch my hands. If it takes you touching my feet, touch my feet. Isn't it amazing that Jesus invites doubters closer to him? So if you're in here and you're doubting, you're living in the tension of the brokenness and God's faithfulness, and you want to know, what do I do with my doubt? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I embrace you in the midst of your doubt. I embrace you in the midst of your brokenness. I tell you what, I look back now with perspective And I can say what Joseph said about slow miracles in my life. I can say, God, there's broken things in this world. I made bad choices. Other people made bad choices that affected me. Those things actually happen. They hurt. But if I look back at some of those slow miracles, God, it is just undeniable that you have been faithful. 
it is undeniable that I am a different person because of that, that you have refined me because of the brokenness that I've had to walk through. And that you have been utterly faithful, always faithful, always good, even when the situation wasn't good, because that's who you are. My slow miracles have helped me embrace the brokenness of this world. They've also helped me embrace God's faithfulness over time. And the invitation is always there to embrace Christ in the tension. And so I don't know what the slow miracles are that you're praying for, but I would take you back to the words of 1 Peter 6 and 7 and say, these are for us. These are for you. Where he says, in this you greatly rejoice. I know that if I heard some of the challenges you're facing in this room, the last thing you'd want to do is greatly rejoice. (laughs) And yet the Bible says that, though now for a little while. Man, and I know for some of us, it hasn't been a little while. It's been years. It's been generational patterns that continue to go on in your family. But just believe this. Believe this with the part of you that knows that God's character is unchanging and that he has all of eternity to make it right. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at what? At the revelation of Christ. At the revelation of Christ. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment here? And I just would ask you to think about the slow miracles you're praying for right now. Maybe there are people in your life who are far from God. And you have come to this place of faith and you've come to this place of relationship with Jesus and it's changing your life. And God, you want nothing more than for them to experience the same thing. I've got people like that in my life. My mother-in-law, my my brother and sister-in-law, cousins and extended family. I've been praying for them for years. Maybe that's the slow miracle you're praying for today. Maybe you're praying for healing. Maybe there's a relationship that needs reconciled my relationship with my mom maybe it's a marriage relationship maybe it's a relationship with your kids or a relationship with your parents or a relationship with a friend maybe it's physical healing that you're praying for maybe you've gotten a diagnosis prognosis isn't good and you're just you're just praying that god would be a healer in that situation maybe there's a challenge you're facing on the business front maybe there's something in your job that's been a huge obstacle Maybe you own a business and there's a huge challenge and you just don't know how you're going to face it. You're praying for a miracle and it doesn't seem like progress is happening quickly. I don't know what it is for you. But right now, I just want to pray for you. God, I pray for all of us in here today. Because I think all of us have places in our lives where we're sitting in the tension between the brokenness of this world and your faithfulness, God. And I just humbly pray that your faithfulness wins. And God, we ultimately see your faithfulness in the face of Christ who came into the brokenness of this world. He didn't avoid it. He didn't ignore it, but he walked right through it to the point of going to a cross, to the point of dying. And God, after that, three days later, he literally and physically rose from the dead. And so, if that is the power available to us, and you say that it is, we ask, God, that we would rely on your power, that we would rely on your Son, and we would trust you in the midst of the tension in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song together, and in many ways, this song could be a prayer. 
for people who are sitting in the tension. And so this song talks about how God is the great I am. And we want to believe that. He is the eternally existing one. That's one of the translations of what that means. That means that he is bigger than our challenges. He's bigger than the tension. And we can trust him. So why don't we sing this together as a prayer to God. A prayer that says we're going to lean into your faithfulness, God. Even when life is uncertain. So I just want to send you off with this blessing. In the midst of the brokenness of life, may you embrace our faithful God, who is more faithful than the world is broken. And may you embrace him most powerfully and personally in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here.